You are listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, today we're continuing our counterculture series. So for the past few weeks, we've been teaching through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, which is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians living in the ancient Greek city of Corinth. And this is a church that was working through a lot of issues. Uh, basically, they had been influenced and infected by the pagan culture around them, and it was manifesting itself in a lot of problems, a lot of problems, disunity, sexual morality, bad doctrine. And so Paul writes to them as a spiritual father who loves this church. He planted this church, and he's writing in correction and encouragement, and he's trying to steer them in the right direction and really reminding them that they're called to be a loving counterculture in the midst of this fallen world. Like he's reminding them like the goal is to love God well, to love each other well, to stay on mission, to stay focused on the gospel in the midst of this fallen world. And man, I think that message is really relevant for you and me today, for those of us who consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus. And so today we're going to dive into chapters eight and nine. And we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul uh, has to say about Christian freedom and how we're supposed to use it. And I want to give you this idea right up front. Here's the idea. With freedom comes responsibility. How many of you know that's true? With freedom comes responsibility. See, the good news is, is Jesus came to set us free. Come on, we're set free from, from having to observe every Old Testament commandment, every, every law, every, every commandment in the Old Testament. Come on, how many of you ever read the Old Testament before? 613 commandments, and they're hard to remember. Do not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Come on, how many of you remember that one? <laughs> and Jesus, here's what Paul tells us. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law, so we're set free to live under the new covenant of grace. How many of you are thankful for grace? Come on, a lot of people got killed in the Old Testament. I'm thankful for grace. Come on, Jesus sets us free from our past. He sets us free from our sin. He sets us free from our sin. Sin. He sets us free to be the sons and daughters of God, to be the people that God has called us to be. But here's the reality. With freedom comes responsibility. With freedom comes responsibility. What you do with your freedom matters. Let me give you this example, okay? Think about getting your driver's license, all right? When you go to get your driver's license, you got to study, you got to take a test that shows you know all the rules, right? You know the laws, and then you take a road test to demonstrate your ability to safely operate a motor vehicle. And if you pass the test, you get a license, right, in the state of New York, state of Connecticut, whatever state you live in, you get a license that says you can now enjoy the freedom to operate a motor vehicle. But how many of you know with that great freedom comes great responsibility to observe the laws, to drive safely so you don't cause an accident, right? Come on, how many of you know just because you have a license doesn't mean you belong on the road? Can I get an amen? Somebody. There are a lot of people who have a license that do not belong on the road. How many of you have ever gotten behind grandma on the 287 doing like 15 miles an hour? It's like you want to pass grandma up and say, hey, it's, ni- it's nice to see you, grandma, but maybe it's time to turn your license in. <laughs> maybe your driving days are over. It's called Uber. Hello. <laughs> Or you run into like, you know, there's just people just driving crazy on the streets. I remember one time I was driving down on the 95 down to Philadelphia and some dude came flying past me like 100 miles an hour. And I was like, this guy's going to cause a wreck. I no sooner said the words that I came over a hill and this guy caused a multi-car accident. Come on, the idea is like with our freedom comes responsibility. 
For example, we've all heard, heard this, uh, this example before. Um, of course, we have freedom of speech in America, but that doesn't mean you get to yell fire in a crowded theater if there's no fire, right? You're not just free to do whatever you want because your freedoms affect other people. You have, to, you have to think about other people other than yourself. So here's the idea. Here's the biblical idea today around freedom. Freedom that honors God is freedom that's exercised in love. This is what Paul's going to set out to show us today, that freedom that honors God, and isn't that what we're, what we're after, to use our Christian freedom? Jesus set us free. We get to walk in this wonderful freedom of his grace, of his mercy, of his forgiveness, but we want to use that freedom in a way that honors God. And so freedom that honors God is freedom that's exercised in love, that shows our love for God. See, we're, we're set free from our sin, but, but now we're set free to fully, to fully serve God. Come on, to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Great commandment. And to love your neighbor as yourself. So to walk in that freedom, we're set free to, to serve God and serve our fellow, fellow human beings fully. And so today we're going to be in chapters 8 and 9 of 1 Corinthians and I want to give you three principles on how to exercise your God-given freedom in a God-honoring way. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, I want to encourage you to be reading along with us, okay? So this week, I want to encourage you to read chapters 10 through 12. We're reading through 1 Corinthians together. Today, we're going to be in chapters 8 and 9. But read ahead chapters 10 and 12. That'll help you be ready uh, as we continue to teach over the next few weeks. And let me just encourage you, okay? As you read a book like 1 Corinthians, you're going to sometimes hit some spots that are hard to understand. There's some tricky stuff in 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to do my best to explain as much of it as possible. But if you read through something and it's a little bit tricky, just keep plowing through it. And I believe God is going to speak to us and give us what we need. Amen? All right, today we're going to be in chapter, we're going to start in chapter eight. Let me give you a little context here, okay? So the Corinthians had actually written to the apostle Paul to ask for his guidance on several different issues. Be careful when you ask an apostle for his opinion because he might just give it to you. And the Corinthians get an earful because Paul had a lot to say about all these problems in, in the church. And so Paul in this letter is systematically addressing all of these different issues that the you know, Corinthians had asked him about. And one of the issues that they wrote to him about was whether or not Christians could eat meat that had been sacrificed to pagan gods, like in pagan temple worship. I know that's the question that all of you came in here with, you know, on your minds today, like, Pastor Jeremy, can we eat meat sacrificed to idols? Hang in there, okay? I'm going to talk to you about why this matters. But that's the context here, why Paul launches into this section of Scripture that we're going to read today, okay? Are you ready? We're going to pick it up, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's look at the first eight verses. The Apostle Paul writes this. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. Look at verse 8. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Can I get an amen from the people who love to eat food? Hallelujah, somebody. All right. 
So what in the world is going on here? Let's talk about it. So you have to remember, this is an ancient context, right? In ancient Corinth, much of the meat that was available to purchase in the marketplace is meat that had been used in idol worship, okay? So what happened is some of this meat was, was burned on an altar, and then some of it was consumed in, in the temple. In fact, there in Corinth, there was a temple dedicated to the, to the goddess Aphrodite, okay? So some of this food would be burned on an altar, some of it would be consumed in these ceremonies, and then what was left over of it was made available and sold in the marketplace where people could take it and eat it at home. So the Corinthians were having this debate amongst themselves in the church of whether or not Christians could eat this meat. And Paul takes this question just head on and it gives a fairly straightforward answer in these verses. Let's look at verses four through six again and then we'll skip to verse eight. He says, so then about eating food, sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in in the world and there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and, and many lords, yet for us there is but One God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. For food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. So Paul basically says, sure, you can eat the meat. You're free to eat this meat. Here's why. He says an idol is nothing in this world. There is no God but one. So he says, in other words, the type of idols that you would see in a pagan temple, right? Idols, statues of wood and stone. Like we recognize because we're followers of the one true God that those are just lifeless statues. They can do nothing. They have no power. They have no power over you, okay? There's only one true God. And then he says, even if there are so-called gods, yet for us, there is but one God. He says, sure, there are a bunch of pagans living around you and people who worship all kinds of gods. How many of you remember your Greek mythology from junior high, right? There's Zeus and Aphrodite and Poseidon. He's like, sure, there are all kinds of people around you who worship these so-called gods, but we believe in the one true creator, God, who sustains all. It's in him that we live, right? This is what matters. This is what matters. So he says, go ahead and eat the filet mignon if you want to. Go ahead and eat the filet mignon that was sacrificed in Aphrodite's temple because it really doesn't make a difference because these so-called gods are lifeless. They're false gods. They have no power over you. You're free to eat it if you choose. Now, I know for us, this seems like this has nothing to do with us as modern day people. Like, Pastor Jeremy, what does this have to do to to help me out to, to live my life as a Christian? Well, it raises a really important question that is gonna help us today. And so here's the question that this issue raises. How do we exercise our Christian freedom? How do we exercise our Christian freedom? What are we free to do and what are we not free to do? Especially when it comes to the moral gray areas of life, not the black and white areas, okay? This was a neutral area. Paul says whether you eat or whether you don't eat, it's not really gonna make that big of a difference. So he's talking about the gray areas of life where it's not so straightforward, okay? The black and white things like sexual immorality, we talked about that last week. If you weren't here last week, you need to go back and listen to the podcast, okay? Can I have sex with somebody that I'm not married to? Well, the Bible speaks clearly to that. That's the black and white issue. We're talking about the the gray issues. Can Christians drink? Can Christians dance? Can Christians do yoga? Can Christians allow their kids to go trick-or-treating at Halloween? Can Christians cheer for the Red Sox? No, you cannot cheer for the Red Sox. Come on, this is New York. You gotta take a stand somewhere. You gotta have some kind of moral boundaries in your life. Come on, church, help me out. Can I get an amen, somebody? (laughs) Wanna make sure I pass through you clearly, okay? 
We're talking about the areas where we, where we need discernment, the areas that are not so black and white. I want to give you three principles on how to exercise your God-given freedom in a God-honoring way. Come on, how many of you want to honor God with your lives? How many of you want to take this beautiful gift of freedom that we have in Christ that we get to walk in and live in? How many of you want to take that and use it in a God-honoring way? That's what we're after. And so let me give you this first principle. Principle number one is exercise your freedom in love, not pride. Exercise your freedom in love, not pride. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, chapter 8, verses 1 through 2. Look at this again. He says, Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Now, this is actually a quote that the Corinthians were sharing with each other. We all possess like secret knowledge. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But here's what Paul says, and I want you to read this out loud with me. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. I'm going to give you a chance to do that again. Let's read that again together. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Yeah. And then in verse two, he says, those who think they know something do, yet, do not yet know as they ought to know. Pastor Jeremy paraphrased, those who think they know something don't really know anything. Those who are spiritual know-it-alls have missed the point. But look at verse three. But whoever loves God is known by God. The ones that God recognizes are those who love him, who live out their faith in love. And so Paul says, you, you got to exercise your, your freedom in, 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 in humility, in love, not, not in pride. And see, there were some in, in the church, if you remember, we've been talking about this the past few weeks, there were all kind of different groups and factions, right? It was part of the problem in, 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 in 1 Corinthians, in the Corinthian churches. They weren't in unity. And, and so there were some in the church who were really prideful about their spiritual knowledge, See, they had accumulated some knowledge and they were attempted to misuse their knowledge. And one of the ways they were tempted to misuse their knowledge was to look down on other people who were less knowledgeable than them. They were feeling really good about themselves. They had all this wonderful spiritual knowledge. And so they looked down on other people who they didn't think had as much knowledge as them. And so let's get inside of the Apostle Paul's mind as he tackles this issue. Essentially, this is why Paul's writing these, these verses. Paul is saying, like, I know I can eat the meat. He's like, I know the, the meat that's been sacrificed to idols is powerless over me. I know those, those idols are just wood and stone. There's only one true God. So I can eat the meat. But he also recognized that there were other people in the church who thought it was sinful, that it offended them. Verse 7, he says, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. And so here's what Paul says. Paul says, I'm going to prioritize my love for those people over my knowledge. Do you get it? He says, I'm not going to take my, my, my knowledge and feel really good about myself and think, oh, I'm an educated apostle, apostle with theological training, and those people are just stupid. No. He says, I'm going to prioritize my love for these other people over my, over my knowledge. See, sometimes it's interesting to what happens in church because... You know, when people first come to church, a lot of times when people first find a relationship with Jesus or people find their way into a life-giving church, like, you know, most often they're just so thankful to be here. Some of you, that, that was your story. When you Just think back when you first, you know, had a, found a relationship with Jesus, when he first found you, you know, and you got plugged into a church and like, you just, you were so thankful to be there. The, the, the songs were fresh for you. The messages were, were fresh. Like, it was like, I can, I can serve. I can do whatever you need me to do. Like, I'm just happy to be here. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When you first friend relationship with Jesus. But what's interesting is sometimes Christians stay in church and over the years, the, the, the sermons start to become a little more recognizable. Like, oh, I've heard that one before, you know? Or we start to read a little bit of scripture and, and, and it starts to become a little more familiar to us. And we do a few devotionals and Bible studies. And, and after a while, we start to accumulate a little bit of knowledge and we can start to get a little bit prideful. And Paul tells us that that knowledge puffs us up. 
This happens to us. I know it wouldn't happen to any of you, but some Christians, this happens. Over the years, they start to become a little bit impressed by the knowledge that they've accumulated. Here's the problem. Most Christians are far or educated far beyond their obedience. Most Christians know way more Bible verses than they've actually put into practice. Come on, Paul says it's about loving well. God is not impressed. God is not in heaven like, oh my gosh, you learned a new Bible verse. That's amazing. Brownie points to you. No, no, no. The apostle James told us to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So Paul says it's not just about your your knowledge. Paul says the number one goal is to love well, not be a spiritual know-it-all. How many of you have ever been blessed by a spiritual know-it-all? Anybody? Anybody in here, you ever knew a spiritual know-it-all and you're like, I want to be just like that person when I grow up in the faith. No, spiritual know-it-alls do not bless us. Paul says the goal is to, to love well. Can I help you out? You want a measuring stick to measure your spiritual growth? Anybody? Okay, nobody at all. All right. Anybody interested in growing spiritually? Let me give you a measuring stick, okay? And it, I'm going to disappoint you. It has nothing to do with how, you know, how good your, your streak is going on the Bible app with whatever reading plan you're doing. It has nothing to do with that. Guess what it is? It's how well are you loving people? The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Great commandment, that comes from Jesus. He says, and then love your neighbor as yourself. The two are completely intrinsically linked together. If you want to know how well you're doing at loving God with everything you have, pay attention to how well you're loving your neighbor as yourself. That's humbling, isn't it, when you stop and think about it that way? And so Paul says the number one goal is to, is to love well. It kills me when I see Christians with a little bit of knowledge, you know? Christians with just enough knowledge to be dangerous. Christians with a little bit of knowledge. They've read a few blogs on the internet or on Facebook, right? Great, you know? They've, they've memorized a few Bible verses and now they're experts and they're gonna tell you, they're gonna tell everybody, they're gonna tell everyone on social media exactly how to follow Jesus. They've got it boiled down to a science and they will set you straight if you disagree. It kills me when I see this stuff. I mean, I've had people... Quote scriptures at me, all out of context, you know? Just throwing scriptures at me. And I want to say, well, thank you so much for explaining that to me. Like, I never came across that that way in all of my years of, you know, studying the Bible and Bible college and seminary. I'm so thankful that you could explain that to me, you know? Thank you. I appreciate it now. I've seen the light. This is, this is amazing. And I could just hit them back and, like, destroy them, you know, with my years of theological training. But you know what I found? It's much better just to respond to that person in love, Right? Come on, kill them with kindness. Just show them the love, the love of Jesus. But every now and then you encounter somebody who's been walking with Jesus for years. Come on, a person of prayer, a person who's been in the word of God, a person who's lived the faith. Walk, walk with Jesus. And they're the most humble person you've ever met. You ever been around somebody like that? They love well. They're a person of grace. They're a person of compassion. They're a person of forgiveness. Come on, those are the people who impact your life. Those are the people who impact your life, not because they're spiritual know-it-alls, but because they love well. Come on, you know who they often are? They're the grandmas in church. Find you a grandma in church. Some of y'all need an abuelita in your life just to love on you, pray for you, cook for you, set you straight. Go find somebody who loves well. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Those are the people who will impact your life. Because the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you recognize that it's only his grace that's keeping you. So here's the big idea. Those who know the most should love the best. Let me say that to you again. Somebody needs to put that in your notes. Those who know the most should love the best. That's what Paul's saying. It's not about being a spiritual know-it-all. It's how are you using your knowledge to put love into practice in your life? Because that's what makes a difference. So however you pursue your, your Christian freedom, use it in the spirit of love, not pride. The spirit of love, not pride. All right, then Paul continues. Look at this, chapter 8, verses 9 through 13. 
He says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister from whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Here's principle number two. We're talking about how do we honor God with our God-given freedom. Point number two, exercise your freedom wisely, not carelessly. Exercise your freedom wisely, not carelessly. See, Paul says that there might be believers in your midst, in the congregation in Corinth, who have a weak conscience and that they can't eat this meat that's been sacrificed to, to pagan idols without remembering their former way of life. And it just brings back all of these memories when they actually were a pagan, when they actually believed in these gods. So, so even though it's not really a sin to eat the meat, it offends their conscience and they're weighed down by a guilty conscience if they do. Now, Paul says that with those people in mind, if they see you eating meat, even though you're free to eat it, eat it even though you know it has no power over you, if they see you eating that meat, especially if you went into a pagan temple and ate it, not just in your house, now they might start to think that it's okay for them to eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol that they believe is real. Are you tracking with me? And so they could get confused and fall into sin. Maybe they're a young believer. Maybe they're a believer that's still growing. They could actually see you and think that idol worship is okay and fall back into all this pagan idolatry and you've destroyed them spiritually. And so you have to exercise your freedom wisely. Sometimes you have to limit your freedom for the sake of love. This is what Paul says. You got to limit your freedom. You got to use it wisely so you don't destroy someone else. All right, let me give you a modern day example to help you track with me, okay? Let's talk about the example of drinking alcohol. Okay, so the Bible, the Bible tells us, basic does not tell us that drinking alcohol is completely a sin, okay? The Bible essentially teaches moderation when it comes to alcohol. Sure, the Bible tells us to use wisdom and there's boundaries and it certainly talks about the negatives of drinking to excess, but there's nowhere in the Bible that explicitly says that drinking is a sin. In fact, all throughout the Old Testament, wine is a symbol of blessing. If you read the New Testament, Jesus' very first miracle was turning water into wine. That was obviously not a Pentecostal wedding like I grew up in, <laughs> okay? I read that scripture and it set me free. <laughs> and then people will come along and try to take the scripture and make it mean what they make, when I make it mean. Well, it wasn't the same kind of wine. Like there was only one kind of wine back then. Okay, just like now, it's wine. Okay? Okay, so there is no like explicit sin. I'm not saying you shouldn't use, use caution, but if you understand scripture, if you would like to, you can exercise the right to enjoy a drink, like with boundaries, with moderation, right? Using wisdom. You shouldn't if you have like an alcoholic past or something like that. Okay, so there's freedom. Now, let's use, let me take another example. Imagine you're in life group and somebody joins your life group. Maybe they're new to faith, you know, and, and they had a background of alcoholism, you know, and, and they're trying to stay sober or maybe they come from a background of drug addiction, something like that. And they come to life group every week and everybody in life group is enjoying alcohol like every week. And here they are, they're still new to faith. They're still sorting it all out. They might get the idea that, okay, like my party life, my, my alcoholism is compatible with being a Christian and it could cause them to fall back into sin. Do you see it? 
So something that was not a sin becomes like sin because it wasn't, the freedom wasn't exercised in, in wisdom. It was used in a careless way and it caused someone else to fall into sin. It wasn't used in, in love. And so Paul says you have to exercise your freedom wisely. In that situation, it would be a lot better because of that brother or sister who's in recovery. It'd be a lot better to not have alcohol around them at all. Do you understand? So here's the idea. When it comes to using your freedom, you can either be a building block or a stumbling block. Which one are you going to be, a building block or a stumbling block? Paul says, I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want my freedom to be a stumbling block to anybody. I want to use my freedom in a way that builds other people's faith. I don't know about you, but I want to be somebody who, who my freedom is used in a way that it honors God and it builds other people's faith. Okay, can I give you a personal kind of lighthearted example from my own life? Is that cool? All right, so if you didn't know, I like to dance. I know, scandalous. Your pastor dances, okay? If you invite me to your wedding, I am gonna get on the dance floor and show you how to do it. I'm just saying. I'm gonna bust out all of my moves that I perfected in the cafeteria in the 1990s at my high school, and I'm gonna give you what I got, especially at a wedding, because I believe Christians should celebrate love. Can I get an amen? Somebody, okay? Some of y'all have been to your wedding. You're like, yep, that's my pastor, I know. All right, so... I like to have fun. That's good. And, and by the way, there's nowhere in the Bible that says that dancing is a sin, okay? Have you ever read, there's a scripture where David like danced before the Lord without his clothes on. I've always kept my clothes on when I dance. I'm not even as bad as King David. I have never been filmed taking my clothes off at a wedding. King David was in scripture, okay? I'm just saying, y'all need to read y'all's Bible. So dancing is not a sin, okay? So where am I going with this stuff? <laughs> Here's the whole point. I've actually had unchurched people come up to me at weddings and be like, dude, I've never, I never knew a pastor could dance. Like, can I, like, what's the name of your church? I have literally given people my card at weddings on the day. I have a dancing ministry, if you didn't know. Like, my sermons are okay, but when I start doing the running man on the dance floor, people get blessed. People get saved, okay? <laughs> I've literally had, like, given my, like, business card to people at weddings and said, hey, I'd love to have you come to my church, okay? Now, that's a use of Christian freedom in a fun way, in a moderate way, in a God-honoring way. How many of you know it is not a sin to have fun? Can I get an amen right here? Somebody. Okay. On the flip side, I am not going to use my Christian freedom on the dance floor to start bumping and grinding and dancing dirty and dancing inappropriately. Somebody like, like, oh my God, he just said bumping and grinding in church. Oh, come on. Don't act like you don't live in this real world all during the week. And then you come to church and get all <laughs> sanctified and saintly. I'm not about to start using my freedom in an inappropriate way, like start dancing inappropriately with somebody who's not my wife and causing other Christians to be in confusion and getting all messed up. Do you see it? Paul says you gotta use your freedom wisely. Exercise your freedom. Live in the freedom of Christ. Live in this beautiful gift that is the freedom of Christ, but do so in a way that, that shows love for others. And sometimes you even have to limit how you use your freedom to love others well. Now, we're talking about how to use our, our freedom wisely. Here's a good question for you to ask. Am I using my freedom to be a building block or a stumbling block? Come on, somebody needs to meditate on that. The, the, how am I using my freedom? The things I say, the things I post, the way I dress, the way I influence people in my life group, on my team, in my sphere of influence. Is my freedom used to be a building block or a stumbling block to others? Now, let me talk to you for just a moment here about how to use your freedom wisely, okay? Because we want to do this wisely. Two, two principles that'll help you do that. Number one is you got to develop discernment. Everybody say discernment. You got to develop discernment. See, not every area of your life is going to be black and white. The scripture does not speak explicitly to every possible issue, who you should date, where to invest your money, where you should go to college. Be careful opening your Bible verse and just pointing your finger somewhere and looking for a verse to speak to your life. That could be good, but that could also be disastrous, okay? 
The Bible doesn't speak to every specific issue. Instead, what Scripture does is it trains our hearts and our minds in discernment so that we can be people who walk in wisdom so that in any given situation, we can move forward in peace, in wisdom, making decisions that honor God. It trains our hearts in discernment. That's what the book of Proverbs is actually all about if you want to gain biblical wisdom. So point number one, principle number one for developing wisdom in exercising our freedom is to develop discernment. But you have to put in the work, by the way. How many of you know you got to learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit? you got to learn to live in the tension sometimes, okay? you you gotta, you got to get into the Word of God. The will of God is found in the Word of God. Saturate your mind in the Word of God, and the will of God will be more readily apparent to you. Here's the second principle, number two, is avoid the two extremes of abuse of freedom and legalism. Avoid these two extremes, okay? First of all, abuse of freedom. Abuse of freedom goes beyond the wisdom and the guardrails of Scripture. Come on, think about Scripture as like guardrails that God has placed in your life to protect you, boundaries to protect you. What happens is abuse of freedom, it overreaches. And there was some of this happening in the Corinthian church. So for example, having a drink is one thing, getting hammered is another thing, right? Having a drink is one thing, but driving home drunk or going home with somebody you don't know and getting out of control and making bad decisions is another thing. For example, if you're married, do you have the freedom to have friendships with people of the opposite sex? Yes, you do, okay? If you know in this church, I hug everybody, I hug the men, I hug the women, treat you as my brothers, treat you as my sisters. It's okay to have freedom in Christ if you're married to have a a friend who's the opposite sex, but you're not free to flirt with somebody who's not your spouse or to be messaging somebody inappropriately who's not your spouse. Do you see it? So abuse of freedom goes beyond freedom. And, and, and it hurts us. It gets us in trouble. And, and when we do that, it often hurts other people. Then the other extreme to avoid would be legalism. Everybody say legalism. I want to make sure you're tracking with me. Legalism. Legalism also goes beyond Scripture by adding to Scripture. It makes and creates additional rules, additional commandments, all right? And so for many Christians, it's easier, instead of developing discernment, Instead of putting in the work of, of, of developing discernment and learning how to live in tune with the Holy Spirit, for many Christians, they just come up with uh, and create blanket, blanket rules to just cover things like you can't drink at all, you can't dance at all, you can't, some, some, some church traditions, you can't wear makeup, you can't wear shorts, you can't watch TV, you can't listen to any secular music. If it's fun, you shouldn't do it. If you smile, it's a sin. God wants you to be miserable. <laughs> Sadly, some of y'all come from, came from church backgrounds like that, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Like if it was fun, it was a, it was a sin. And so let me just tell you, that also, that, that also is overreaching beyond Scripture because that, that creates things that are not in Scripture. That creates rules and, and, and commandments that, that are not in Scripture. See, both of these extremes hurt people. Both of these extremes hurt people. Abuse of freedom wields freedom in a way that harms other people. Legalism, here's what legalism does. Legalism creates unnecessary boundaries that keep, keep people from experiencing the love and the message of Jesus Christ. Come on, how many of you know people have enough of their own boundaries? People have enough of their own stuff, their own, their own shame. They have enough ideas. They have enough boundaries that can keep them from coming to Jesus. Let's not create new boundaries. Come on, instead of erecting boundaries, let's be bridge builders that help bring people to Jesus Christ, to the love of God. Let's create less barriers and let's help people find a way to a relationship with Jesus Christ. I wish somebody would give me an amen right about now. That's what we should be doing. That's what we should be doing. All right, here's the third principle. We're talking about how to honor God with our freedom. Here's the third thing. Exercise your freedom to serve others, not yourself. 
Exercise your freedom to serve others, not yourself. Now we have to fast forward a little bit here into chapter nine. Through the first 18 verses, Paul gives another example of how to use freedom. And, and he tells the Corinthians, this had to do with his compensation there when he was there pastoring them in, in Corinthians. He tells the Corinthians that he had, he had the right to receive compensation for preaching the gospel, but he didn't exercise his right when he was in Corinth because really he didn't want to be uh, in debt to anyone precisely because the Corinthians were actually spiritually immature. So there were some people in the church who were questioning Paul's apostleship. As you're reading through 1 Corinthians, you'll kind of hear Paul like defending his apostleship a little bit like in a very healthy way, reminding them that he has spiritual authority over them. Why is that? Because there were some in the church who were saying, hey, um, other pastors, other preachers, other philosophers who come through Corinth, they always charge for their ministry. Like that's the sign of a legit teacher, but you didn't actually, you, you didn't actually receive any compensation for your teaching. And essentially the reason Paul didn't was he knew how spiritually immature the Corinthian church was. He knew how divided they were. He didn't want to take compensation and all of a sudden somebody thought that he was aligned with their side and that this, this was a bribe. He didn't want them to have influence over him. So he gave up that right. So again, Paul shows them that sometimes love requires us to limit our freedom. Paul says, I use my freedom in a way to serve others, not myself. And let's look at this, chapter 9, verses 12, uh, 19 through 23. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. He was a Jew. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, he's talking about the Old Testament commandments, right? Jesus had fulfilled those commandments. He was free. To those not having the law, the Gentiles, I became like one having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, the law of grace, the new covenant law of grace. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Come on, Paul says, I've been set free, but I recognize that my freedom isn't just for me. I've been set free from the law. I've been set free from my sin. So now I can freely give my life away to something bigger than me, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. Paul says, I make myself like a servant. I make myself like a slave to, to the work of God, to the gospel, to the mission of God, to serve others, to win people to Jesus. So Paul says, whatever I gotta be, I'll be. Whatever I gotta do, I gotta do. If it means I can influence people. Come on, let me put it to you in modern day language. I'll give you the Pastor Jeremy translation. To the white people, I became white. To the black people, I became black. To the Spanish people, I'll be Spanish. To the Asian people, I'll be Asian. To the conservatives, I'll be conservative. To the progressives, I'll be progressive. To the suburban people, I'll be suburban. To the inner city people, I'll be inner city. I'll be whatever I gotta be to influence people. I will find something in common with you so that I can influence you toward a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I got a purpose that's bigger than me. I got a purpose that's bigger than me. If I got to give up some of my freedom, I'll give it up. And why does this matter? Because right now we're living in an American culture that places personal freedom far above everything else. We're living in an American culture that's made an idol out of freedom. The filter that most people use to make decisions is what's best for me. What's best for me? What's best for me? My money, my time, my career, my goals my entertainment, what's best for me. And I'll tell you, when you make decisions that are just best for you, people will celebrate that. Go on social media and tell everybody how you're doing your thing and people are like, yeah, you go girl, you tell them. 
people will celebrate that. But here's the reality. I'm not saying you should never do anything for yourself, but you know, I'm talking about making it all about you. We have to be careful because personal freedom can become an idol to us. Let me just say that Jesus did not make personal freedom our greatest aspiration. Jesus made serving, loving, giving our lives back to him, to his kingdom. That is our greatest aspiration. Let me give you a quote from Pastor Rich Belotus over in Queens. Here's what he said. He said, American notions of freedom are usually at odds with Christian freedom. American freedom says my freedom is mine to enjoy. Christian freedom says my freedom is for the purpose of serving my neighbor. Do you see it? We're living in a culture that's addicted to freedom, that's made freedom the greatest aspiration, the greatest idol. And there's all different versions of it, progressive versions, conservative versions, my body, my choice, my money, my right to own a military-grade weapon, fill in the blank. I get it. This is America. But guess what? Our greatest aspiration is not to live for ourselves. It's to live for something bigger than ourselves, the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. What do we see in the life of Jesus? Jesus, who was the Son of God, if there was anybody who could have flexed their rights, if there was anybody who could have exercised their rights, it was Jesus, the Son of God. What did he do? In his freedom, he freely gave his life away on the cross for you and me, and it changed our lives, and it changed the world. Come on, self-sacrificial love is the most powerful force on the planet. This is what God is calling us to. You want to talk about countercultural? What if you get a hold of, of this? What if you started living your life this way? What if we were a church full of people who deep in their hearts would say that living for me, living my best life and, and making it all about me and my personal freedom is not the greatest aspiration of my life. The greatest aspiration of my life is my life being about something that's bigger than me, a greater purpose than myself, to serve the kingdom of God further the kingdom of God in a lost and broken, hurting world with people all around me so desperately need Jesus. And so let me end with three questions that I want to invite you to put in your notes. You can take your phone out and snap a picture of these. And I want to encourage you to pray through these this week. You know, sometimes the sermon is just the beginning of a conversation, a conversation that you continue throughout the week between you and the Holy Spirit. So a few follow-up questions today for some self-reflection. Here's the first one. Where have you allowed your knowledge, where have you allowed knowledge to puff you up instead of using love to build others up? Come on, meditate on that question. That's a question for you, not somebody else, not your neighbor. Don't nudge your neighbor, it's for you. Where have you allowed knowledge to puff you up instead of using love to build others up? Where, where do you find yourself reacting to people, you know? Let me tell you something. Whenever I react to people, it always feels right because I know I'm right. Are you with me? Whenever I react to people, it always feels right. But when I love people, it always feels holy. Somebody needs to grab a hold of that. Whenever I react to, to people, people who disagree with me, people who think differently than me, people who leave our church upset with me, it happens every now and then. Whenever I react to that, it always feels right. I feel justified. But when I love someone who I disagree with, it always feels holy. It makes me more like Jesus. Where have you allowed knowledge to puff you up instead of using it to build, instead of using love to build others up? Here's the second question. How are you using your, your freedom? Are you a building block or a stumbling block to people's faith? are you using that freedom, that wonderful gift of freedom in the things you post, the things you say, the decisions you make, the influence that you have and the people around you? Are you encouraging people? Are you building someone's faith? You have more influence than you think you have. How are you using it? And then here's the third question. Where do you need to limit your personal freedom in order to better serve others? 
Where do you need to limit your personal freedom in order to better serve others? Pray into that. Maybe God's going to show you that. Maybe it's, this is your year to start being a giver. And come on, it's time to start taking part of your finances and give that back to the kingdom of God. Limit a little bit of your personal freedom to help advance the kingdom of God. If that's you, let it land on you. Let it encourage you. Start somewhere. Maybe it's making friends with somebody who normally you wouldn't have anything in common with them. And you, you, you can exercise your rights to not be friends with, but maybe it's being intentional to find somebody who thinks differently than you, looks differently than you, comes from a different background than you, and you just decide, I'm going to love somebody who looks differently than me so I can become more like Jesus. I'm going to limit my, my personal freedom to stick around the people who just look like me so I can better serve other people. Maybe today it's signing up to serve on a team. We have team day today. There's our teams are going to be set up out there in the lobby, and it's our vision at our church that everybody in our church would be plugged in, serving on a team. And maybe this is your year to say, okay, I'm going to give up some of my time. I'm going to stick around for an extra service once a month to love on some kids or to welcome people or help in some way. I'm going to give up a little bit of my own personal freedom for the blessing of serving other people. And can I just say, there's nothing like, like serving other people. The blessing, you end up getting blessed when you serve others. And so I want to encourage you to meditate on those three questions with this thought in mind. Freedom that honors God is freedom that's exercised in love. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Come on, stand with me. Stay locked in. Stay locked in. And let me just tell you, this, this is personal for me. This is personal for me. Because if you know anything about our story, eight years ago, eight years ago, we were at our crossroads in our ministry. And I felt like God asked me to give up everything come to New York to plant a life-giving church. And see, now we get to be together in this beautiful facility and our church is growing and we experience this amazing, beautiful church family that we have. But back then, you know what it felt like? It felt like giving up everything. It felt like giving up my freedom, my choice to do with my life, what I wanted to do. It wasn't easy. We walked away from everything we knew because this is what God was asking us to do. But can I tell you, it's the best decision I've ever made in my life. Come on, there's nothing like living your life in a way that's surrendered to God. And I don't know what it is for you. I'm just giving you a personal example in my life. And I want to testify to the goodness of God. The best decision I ever made is to say, God, I'm going to do something with my life. I'm going to make my life about something bigger than just me. To reach people for you, God. And if that means i got to give up some of my plans, if that means I have to give up it looking like I thought it was going to look, God, it's worth it. And let me tell you, it's the best decision I ever made up your freedom to live freely for God, impact people for his kingdom. So let's pray into that. Father, we thank you for your grace, for your love, for your mercy. Jesus, we thank you that you set us free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. We get to walk in freedom. We get to walk in your grace and your mercy and the covenant of grace, God. We're set free from our sin, from our shame, from our past to be your sons, to, to be your daughters. And God, we want to we wanna be those who, who love well, God. We don't want to be puffed up with knowledge, but we want to be those who, who love well like you love Jesus. God, we want to be a building block, not a stumbling block. God, we want you, you to use our lives so that we can influence other people to know you, God, to know you, Jesus. Lord, if that means we have to limit our freedom in some way to be a servant, and we do that today, God, we offer ourselves back to you, God, to be used by you to further your kingdom, to make an impact in someone's life around us. Father, I pray that you do that in our lives. I pray for your people, God, every one of them, Father, that they would walk in freedom, yet freely give their lives back to you, Jesus. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.